Good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, if you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, this has been a great series. I hope that you guys have enjoyed that. Uh, I want to just draw your attention to one thing. If you are new uh, to LifePoint, if you take out your phone and you turn on your camera and you put it on the QR code on a chair in front of you, that'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That landing page is our online connect card. So all the information you want to find out about our church, you can find there. Just you know, uh, the sermon notes, you can click on that and literally follow along as I'm talking. You can take notes there and actually email them to yourself just to have a record of what you were kind of learning today. Uh, there's all kinds of information about upcoming events. There's also the guest information button. If you'll click that button, fill out a little bit of information and let us know how you heard about LifePoint. Then if you scroll down, there are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. And if you check one of the boxes, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry just in your honor to say thanks for checking in with us today. So if you've been part of LifePoint for a long time, then you know this is one of those series we do once a year. It's super fun, and I hope you guys have had a great time with it. It's called Now Plain, and what we look at is faith in light of film, and we say that good stories often point to the greatest story. And, you know, we started out with Top Gun, uh, you know, the, the Maverick uh, movie. That was incredible. We did The Minions, Rise of Gru. Last week, we did Rings of Power, and this week, we're doing Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, so that got me thinking I should probably wear my superhero shirt. You probably can't see it from a distance, so here's a picture of what it looks like, so you can kind of get a picture of it there. <laughs> Not exactly Marvel, but uh, I, I'm a Spider-Man guy. So that was my favorite, uh, my favorite cartoon character, my favorite you know, superhero when I was a kid. When I was young and you come home from school, there was a 30-minute cartoon on after school that was a Spider-Man, and it had a little theme song with it. Some of you guys, if you're a certain age, some of you ladies, you can actually sing it in your head, yes. Um, but I wanted to be Spider-Man of any of the, of the, you know, I loved all of them. They were all fun to watch, but Spider-Man was my guy. He would just, you know, be spinning his webs and, uh, you know, wrapping up the bad guys. So when I was a kid, I also opened up the Christmas catalog and there was a little glove you could put on and it would shoot webs. And I wanted one so badly, but my parents wouldn't buy it for me. And I had a friend who actually had one and it was terrible. It was, it would, you know, it didn't stick to anything. It just shot a piece of string out and usually it just got stuck. But I remember thinking, it, it, it's, it's obviously junk, but in my head, if I'd had that toy, I could swing from the rafters and wrap up my brothers. Like, that's what I wanted to do with my life at the time. I enjoy Spider-Man. I enjoy this movie. It was really fantastic. Um, I became a fan of the Marvel movies when they had the, the 2002 Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire came out. So that was kind of my era, and I really loved that. And then he came into this movie, and I thought, how is he in this movie? Because I know there's like, this is like the third edition of this whole thing, uh, and yet it's done really well. Uh, they, uh, they invested, Marvel Studios invested $200 million to make the movie. Let that sink in. This is the most of any of the movies we've covered, 200 million, and it grossed 1.9 billion worldwide. $1.9 billion. An estimated 54 million people saw it at the box office. How many of you saw it at the box office? You were there and you went and saw it. So many of you. How many of you have just not seen it yet? You've not seen this. Okay, I will do my best not to give it completely away, uh, but I'm going to have to share some things just to kind of keep you tracking along. Um, what I'll say is this, this film was the seventh highest grossing film of all time. Uh, there's a reason for that, I think, because it's built such a huge fan base with the Marvel franchise. It is the largest franchise of movies now, uh, overtaken Star Wars and all of those things. It's just 
uh, very large, obviously. This particular movie, I was confused as to how they were going to weave them in. But what happens is, in the film prior to this, Spider-Man's uh, nemesis uh, gives out his identity to the world. So now everyone knows who Peter Parker is. He's a high school senior, and everyone knows that he is Spider-Man. Uh, that villain dies, and you know it comes out that you know they, they blame Spider-Man for it, so he has to fight a murder rap. It's kind of a minor storyline at the beginning, uh, but he, he beats that. Uh, but on top of that, what's happening is he's just a high school senior, and he wants to go to college with his two friends, MJ, his girlfriend, and his best friend. They want to go to college together, and they're applying to all these colleges to hope to getting in, and they're not getting into these colleges. And it's because of all the controversy surrounding him and the fact that he's one of the most famous people in the world now, and he's kind of a, you know, he had to beat a murder rap. So he goes to Dr. Strange... Peter Parker says, can you, can you do something? Can you make a spell? Can you change this somehow so that nobody knows who I am and I can go back to normal? And Strange says, yeah, I've got something. I can work on it. So he starts to do this spell and it's all going out. And Spider-Man realizes as it's starting to happen, now wait a second, does that mean MJ won't know who I am? Yes, she'll, she won't even know you're Spider-Man. Well, what about Aunt May? What about my best friend? What about you? Like, is no one going to remember me? He goes, nope, see you later. And he's about ready to cast a spell, and it's all going. And Spider-Man panics and starts speaking things into the spell and crashes the whole thing. And I don't understand how it all happened, because maybe I missed too many of these movies. But what happened is it collided universes. So you've probably heard of like a string theory or, or multiverse. Uh, you know, they, they made that happen in, the, in this, you know, this series. And people from another universes came into this universe that they're watching the movie from. And before Strange was able to close it down, some got in. And that meant that villains from past movies were now in this movie trying to kill Spider-Man. So the rest of the movie is basically he's trying to deal with these villains from these other universes that are all coming in, and he has to have help. So two other Spider-Men come in from the universe of other places, come in to help him, and it, it's really epic and fun. And I got to thinking, 54 million people watch this. That's a lot, right? That's, that's pretty huge. And in $1.9 billion, how does something get that popular? I, don't, I can't even begin to tell you how much the Marvel franchise is worth, but it is, it's epic. Why? You ever thought about that? Why is it that we love superheroes so much? I mean, they are everywhere from cartoons when I was a kid to movies. Now, people love superheroes. And I was thinking, what is it about the superhero that appeals to us? Cross generations now. What is it that appeals to us? And I think that thing that's in us must have been built that way. We were made to notice things that are worthy of acclaim, worthy of notoriety, worthy of joy, and worthy of worship. We're made that way. It's like a thumbprint from God. And here's why I think that is. Because God is worthy of worship. He is all of those things that we actually need in our soul that when we notice him, it does something in us we're made for it. This is why that when you go to a game and you see something amazing happen, a three-point shot from, from the half-court line as time is expiring, you, we all erupt and cheer. We're made to notice things that are worthy, that are of our, worthy of our attention, of our hearts. That's why the movies appeal to us. When it comes to faith, though, God is trying to draw our attention and our hearts to him. The reason we were made to notice these things is because when we notice them in him, it does something in us. He doesn't actually need our worship. He's completely fine. He's not having any issues. 
And yet something about when we worship him, it does something in us. It fulfills something in us. It brings a satisfaction and a joy in us that, that cannot be explained other than it's how we were wired. If you came in today and you're like me, here's the problem is that we get so distracted by the world that, that we stop noticing what God's doing all around us. And worship becomes kind of a, a thing in our heads. Like, I don't know if you're like me. If you grew up in a church like I did, worship meant uh, like these 10 things you're not supposed to do and like these 10 things you're supposed to do. And as long as you do those things, that's what worship is. Uh, maybe you grew up in a, in a different uh, environment where just going to church meant worship. Or maybe, maybe you grew up in a different environment where worship meant it's the songs that we sing. And, uh, you know, we, we sing those songs, and that's what it means to worship. And, and I've heard people say, oh, yeah. Uh, I said, how was church? Well, the worship was awesome. Preaching, uh, you know. <laughs> but how's God doing? Like, was God any good? I mean, we're here to notice him. We're here to connect to him from our heart level, from Deep within us, there's something that God is trying to awaken in us, but we'd have to notice him. How do we, how do we become true worshipers? That's what we're gonna talk about today. If you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter five. You're gonna follow along in the sermon notes if you like. The first thing I wanna share is this, is our hearts are prone to worship the hero. If we're gonna be true worshipers, we have to recognize the true hero. Let's take a second and let's talk to the hero. Let's pray together. Father, I believe that the difference between having a decent service and having an epic service is simply you speaking to us, talking to our hearts, meeting us where we're at in our faith journey. Talk to us through your word and by your spirit, God. It's your name we pray, amen. Well, turn to Romans 5. Let me give you kind of the background of Romans 5. The church at Rome was started. Uh, there were some Jewish people there who became converts to follow Jesus, and they were kind of the first part of the Roman church. But there were also some Roman people who were kind of a pagan. They worshiped all kinds of gods that heard about the message of the cross, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and they became believers in Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus. So you have these uh, Jewish people who grew up in a very religious behavior background where you you, or you're supposed to behave right. And these other people who are kind of like, all things are, are permissible, like just do whatever you feel. Uh, they both come together to make this early church. And so Paul writes this letter to, to Rome. In the first chapter, he basically says, hey, all those people who lived like that, you know, no behaviors, no big deal, do whatever you want. Uh, those people are really fall under the wrath of God. This behavior actually offends God. And I'm sure the religious people were like, I know that's right. Yep. <laughs> chapter two, and all you religious people, you who think you have all these rules that make you righteous with God. Let me tell you something. You can't even keep your own rules. And you are therefore almost worse. Like you are also offending God with your behaviors. And then you're like, uh-oh. Chapter three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it kind of levels the playing field. Then he says, starts opening up about faith in chapter four and talks about how important faith is. In fact, it's impossible to please God without faith. So all the behaviors in the world don't even matter your faith actually matters. That's what God wants from you. Faith in Jesus Christ. He made a way to reconcile us to the Father because of all the sin we've created in our lives. It breaks everything in us, around us, and with our relationship with God. That's what sin does to us. And in chapter five, he opens up with this. And I'm gonna read the verses, but verse one, I'm gonna come back to. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the, this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 
This set of verses, I've preached multiple sermons on this particular section, which talks about, like, why does God allow bad things to happen to, to believers? Why does he do that? Why does he even let that happen? Why? Because it actually, we rejoice in those things. How? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that God uses them. God has a purpose and a plan to use them to teach us what endurance and perseverance looks like in our faith. And in that, he teaches us character. And that character, as we build character in us through our faith, that we get hope. We literally have a hope in us, a hope of glory that cannot be explained other than God himself. He wants all of that for us, and we rejoice in that. Believers live differently. Why? Because there's a hero. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's what he had been talking about in the chapters, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can read across that verse like, okay, yeah, we get peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did. But have you ever thought about that? Peace with God? If you're a believer like me, you've been a believer a long time, let me tell you something. It's hard to remember what it was like prior, isn't it? But do you remember in your heart not having peace with God? Knowing deep down that there was a problem between God and you. Do you remember that time? Maybe it's been too long and we forget. But maybe you came in today and you say, I don't know that I even have that peace. Then maybe one of the reasons you're here today is because you're trying to find an answer for that. Hard to put words on what it is that you feel, but you know there's something off. Jesus Christ solved that. He made a way for us to have complete peace between God and I. That means I can come boldly before the throne of God's grace and receive it and help in my time of need. Peace of God. He did that. And you know, I think the world tries to make us think that Jesus is just one of the many you know, heroes that have lived. And there are many heroes, right? We, we watch people do things. Maybe you've read stories about people during wartime situations. And I've been reading about this even in Ukraine now where, you know, a grenade will come over and someone will jump on top of it to save their buddies, sacrificing their life to save the people around them. Heroic activities that we read about, people who sacrifice for children or for people who can't help themselves, people who put themselves in the line of fire for someone else. We, we see these heroic things and they are heroic, Right? And I think the world wants you to think that Jesus is just one of a long line of heroes. But let me tell you something. All the heroes in the world can't do the thing that Jesus did. Create peace between you and God. Nobody else can do that. Because no one can pay for your sin except the sinless one. Jesus. He did that. I, uh, I think if we don't recognize him as the hero, we'll never understand worship. There's a, there's a part of the movie um, where, so Peter is upset, and he's, he's a 17-year-old, and he goes to Strange, and he wants Strange to fix everything, and Strange says, why don't you just go talk to the lady at MIT, and maybe you can get into college that way. So he decides, I'm going to go and talk to the administrator from MIT, and because everyone's shutting down the kids, and they all have this dream to go to college together. So he goes and finds her, she's on a bridge, and he's going to talk to her, and she thinks he's... Kind of a troublemaker, like he had to beat a murder rap. Who wants that guy in your college? So she's kind of like kind of closed off to him. And, and he's like, look, not for me. Like, you don't have to let me in. But, but my friends, MJ and my friend, like, they're the best. You should let them in. They're geniuses. And just then, one of the villains shows up, Dr. Otto. And he's from another movie way back. He's already been killed by Spider-Man in another universe, but now he's here and he's trying to kill Spider-Man. And of course, he does the thing on the bridge. It's always on the bridge, right? And so, you know, he's... 
knocking out cars and people and he gets the MIT lady who's stuck in her car and he has her dangling off the bridge and Spider-Man has to shoot the web and hold it and try to save her life and, and he, you know, fight Otto at the same time. It's, it's all going, it's really fun and well done. He finally, you know, wraps up Otto and he brings up the lady, opens up the door. She looks at him, she goes, Peter, you're, you're a hero. Like she realizes, she understood. She finally, he's not this guy who's murdering people. He's not a troublemaker. He's, he's a hero. Have you come to a point where you recognize who Jesus really is? Is he really the hero of your life? Because there's gotta be a moment when you recognize that. He can do things that you could never do. I, um, I wanna tell you a quick story. Some of you have been around a long time. You, you may remember this. I'm, most of you do, probably do not know this story. Um, God gave me an opportunity to pull back the wool of the supernatural world so I could see what he was doing supernaturally, like just for a minute, only long enough for me to get a glimpse and he kind of shut the window. I'm like, oh, that's enough. <laughs> like, that's enough. You see, several years ago, um, long before we planted uh, this campus in Westerville, there was a couple that went to church down in Birmingham, Alabama, David and Mary Ellen uh, Andrews. They, they went to a small church down, or a big church down there in Birmingham called Shades Mountain. And they went there and they were praying, God, use our life. We want to be part of a church plant somewhere. And so they prayed and they felt God was telling them to go. Like, and they left their entire community. I mean, they were born and raised in the South. This is their community. And they left to go to a place where churches don't thrive very easily and to be part of a church plant. And David got a job here in Columbus. He kind of like, God, where do you want me to be? And God landed him a job here, a great job. And they moved here and they thought, well, how do we know what church plant to be a part of? So they went to the Lewis Center campus. And just then, we had just announced that we were gonna launch a new campus in Westerville. And they said, well, we live in Westerville. God must have orchestrated the events for us to come all the way up here. Can you imagine praying that prayer? God, send me wherever you want. I just wanna help a church plant. Can you imagine leaving your family and friends and your community just to be a part of what God's doing? That's what they did. So they get up here and they help us kind of pre-launch, get ready to launch the campus. And we launched in January of 2018 at the Heritage Middle School right there off spring. And we're there for just, just a couple weeks and they signed me up to go to a conference down in Birmingham at their home church. And I thought, the conference, when is it? It's at the end of February. I'm like, the church is barely born. Like, I'm holding a newborn. You want me to leave and go to this conference and miss out on a Sunday? I didn't want to do that. But I felt kind of obligated because, you know, I mean, they came all the way up here. And I, I could see that God was obviously bringing them. I had prayed that God would bring his people. And they brought, they came. I'm like, okay, God, I ought to go. So I said, I'll go, fine. Well, I go down there. And I thought it's going to be a conference like every other conference I've been to, which is usually like you go, you hear speakers and worship and breakout sessions. You connect and then you go home and you figure out what is God teaching me. I thought that's what it was. That is not what it was. I went down the Shades Mountain and what it was, they brought in about 50 different missionaries and church planters from around the globe and then they put us in booths, like we all had a separate booth and then we were basically helping their entire church understand what it looks like to live missionally. So people would come up to our booths and we would talk to them. And so one particular night, there's like 12, 1,500 people mingling around and I'm praying, God, why am I in Birmingham? Like, I can honestly say, I never thought in my life I'd be going to Birmingham, Alabama. I never dreamed, like, oh, someday I gotta go visit there. Like, I mean, it's a nice place, but I'm there, and I'm thinking, but I got a sense that God was trying to show me something. I'm like, okay, but what is it? I didn't know. 
So I'm in the booth one night, and this guy stumbles around to the booth and says, hey, uh, so you're from Westerville, right? I'm like, yeah. He asked what I did there. I kind of explained life point. And he goes, well, I, I was born in Westerville, born at St. Anne's Hospital. I had my first early years, I, I lived in such and such area of Westerville, in the south end of Westerville. I'm like, no way. He goes, and you know, uh, where do you guys meet at? I tried to explain it to him, but he had no reference point for the school because that wasn't, you know, there then. So he goes, well, my, my grandmother had some land up there. And uh, I said, where? And he tried to tell me. I could not explain. I couldn't understand because I thought farmland, that's got to be Africa Road. Like maybe he owned, his family owned that farm out there. Like, so we kind of like, all right, small world, handshake. Bye. This is a picture of Greg and I because he came and found me the next day. So I said, well, let's take a picture. I want to remember this moment. Here's why. Because remember, I've been praying, God, why am I here? And Greg sat me down. He says, can I show you something? I said, yeah. And he opened up a booklet, and it was a map of Westerville. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He showed me this outline, and in the middle of the outline was a dot. He goes, this dot right here, that's Heritage Middle School. That's where you guys have your church. I said, yes, yes, that's where we're at. He goes, and you see the outline? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's my grandmother's land. Show me another picture, this picture. You see that house? I said, uh, I know that house. It's Corner County Line Spring. Everyone knows that house. because That's my grandma's house. He told me lots of stories about the land, about how God had done a miracle in their family and they were all believers and how grandma wanted God to use the land somehow. And he's looking at me and I think God has answered prayer. You guys being there? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? His family prayed that God would use land. And then somehow, randomly, I run into him in Birmingham, Alabama to let him know. God wanted to let him know about what God was doing on that land. The place where we were baptizing people, the place where we were sharing the gospel every week, let him know. God was doing that. I was honored just to be there with him. But I thought about, like, what about David and Mary Ellen? I mean, they prayed. They were sitting in a place just like you are today, and they prayed, God, use our life can you imagine they get all the way up here and they're like, the church plant that God randomly put them in is a place where one of their friends, family owned the land? How in the world did he work that out? And then there's me, just praying, God, where do you want me to be? And why am I in Birmingham? And I'm seeing this whole connection. Can I tell you what, what God did through that connection? When we were just getting started, trying to make a name for ourselves in Westworld, where nobody knew who LifePoint was, just a few people, they sent two teams up and did two mission trips with us to help us communicate the name of LifePoint and the name of Jesus in our community. They sent us so many resources. Like, we would need a computer. They'd just send it. Like, we needed help at a time, and God brought in a partner that there's no way I could have orchestrated any of this. And I felt like for a second, God pulled back the wall, and I went, whoa, how did you do that? You ever had a moment like that? Not exactly like that, but have you ever had a moment where you're like, only God? Listen, I talk to a lot of people. I, that's my thing. I love to talk to people. I talk to people who have no reference point for God, and they'll all tell you God did something. Whoever God is did something to save their life. Uh, listen, I was getting ready to turn right, and I sneezed, and because I sneezed, I didn't, and as soon as I went, uh, I would have been hit by a bus. Everyone has a story, a dot, dot, dot story. You're not going to believe what happened. I know there must be something out there. There's somebody. Something's happening because dot, dot, dot. Have you seen that? Only God can do that. God orchestrates things all around us. And you know what? We miss most of them. Because we're not paying attention to the hero. 
All right, so we got to recognize who the true hero is if we're going to be true worshipers. And we all need a reality check. Here's what I want to share with you. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, and it goes on, I'm going to come back to that. But I want you to catch something here. God chose to die for people who were things that you just don't die for these types of people. We save people that, that matter to us. But here's, here's how he describes this. And it's easy to read it and see what God did and be like, look at who God is. But I want you to see how he sees us for a second. We're, we're weak. Man, I get that. Ungodly. Unrighteous. Like, I can buy into that a little bit. Sinners. Here, here's what he's saying. We're weak. Like, this is what I, when I talk to people who think about God, they say, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Like, isn't the great theologian Freddie Mercury said, of mistakes, I've made a few, right? It's an easy way to say, look, we're all flawed. We all do dumb things. We all do, right? It's another step to say, well, I'm ungodly. I'm unrighteous. That's another level. When we look at our relationship with God and realize there's something broken. That lack of peace that's in us, that's what sin does. And we start to understand that we realize why we're in a position of being unrighteous, not in right relationship with God. We can get there. The next line takes a little bit more humility to recognize ourselves as sinners. Sin means we have actively done the very thing that God does not want. And we can't stop it. And I think with a little bit of humility, we can get there. We try to justify it as best we can. But the next line is a difficult one. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Listen, in all the years I've been talking to people about faith and about Jesus, I've never heard anyone say, I'm an enemy of God. Nobody. I'll bet you no one in the room said, well, I was definitely an enemy. I've heard of atheists who basically don't believe in God, so they're kind of against the whole idea of God. But an enemy of God, who would say, I'm an enemy of God? And yet, God would say, you are all enemies of me. How? Like, I made mistakes, yes. I've sinned because I can't seem to fix myself. And like, I've done things I don't really want. Well, some of those things I want to do. But gosh, I mean, come on. Like, who hasn't, right? No, you were an enemy. An enemy of what? You see, here's the thing. God has a plan and a purpose for everything you see around you. He is actively trying to reconcile the whole world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has a plan and a purpose for every human being. Everyone's here on purpose. And he wants to do something in and through you so that you recognize who he is first and foremost and then become a beacon of his glory and hope in the world. And when we live our lives as if he doesn't matter, if he's just someone we read about, if he's someone, you know, we really don't worship, we, you know, we know about him. When we live our lives for ourselves, we literally are on the opposite end of everything he's trying to do. I'm not even talking about actively being selfish or hurting others, which we tend to stumble on. We're just not about his plan because we're about our own plan. That makes us an enemy of God. He died for us knowing that. We will not recognize the beauty of the cross until we 
understand fully our position. We need that reality or we'll never truly worship God and what he did. There, there's a moment in the movie which, uh, so what happens is Peter has to round up these villains. So the green goblin comes back. It was really kind of fun. And many of these villains, uh, Otto, Dr. Otto is there. And he, he finds a way, Dr. Strange figures out a way to like trap them in these holding tanks, like a prison, if you will. And so he's rounding them up one by one, getting all these villains in there. And they're there. And what happens is Strange has a way to send them back to their universe. That way they don't you know, mess up the, you know, how time and space works and all of that. And so he's trying to like send them back. And uh, the problem is, as they're sharing their stories, everyone realizes when they go back to their universe, they're going to die because they were in an epic fight with the Spider-Man of their time and they died. So if they get sent back, they're going to die. And so Spider-Man, this Peter Parker is saying, no, let's, let's not send them back. Let's find a way to save them. And Dr. Otto, in a moment where he's not blinded by rage, it occurs to him, so wait a second, you're not going to kill us? Why? This is what he says. He goes, you could have left us to die. Why? And MJ, his girlfriend, says, that's not who he is. Don't you see? In reality, in our position of weakness and brokenness and ungodliness and unrighteousness, sinners who are actually enemies by actively trying to thwart what God's trying to do in and through our lives. God loves us. Even though we're flawed, we're unimaginably loved by God. That's who he is. He proved it to us on the cross. And and let me just share one thing. Okay, all right. So, all right. We have to recognize that he's the hero. We have to recognize our position in order to really respect what he's done. All of that is important and How do I know that I'm a true worshiper there? Let's say I say, yes, I believe this is true. I believe this is true. But how do I know I'm a worshiper? Let me give you a telltale sign. Joy is a telltale sign of a true worshiper. Let me explain. Here's what he says. And I'll start in the beginning of 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's what I talked about. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Okay, so he's breaking it down for us. Look, you were all of these things and, you know, enemies, and yet you've become reconciled to the Father. That means we can have a relationship with God. You've been saved from wrath. So all those things he talked about in chapters 1 and 2 in Romans, you've been saved from the wrath of God, which means God is a God of justice. He's not going to sweep it under the carpet. We've been saved from all of that, But more than that, okay, that's not enough, okay? What more than that? We rejoice in God. You know, we want to have joy. This is why we go to the game and why we buy tickets to to the game. This is why we we buy the jerseys we want to go to the game. Why? Because we want our team to win and we want to see them not just overrun the other team. We want to see a tight game. We want to see like the last second touchdown or pick six or or the half point heave. Like we want these things to happen. We want to see the singer get up and sing the most beautiful song. We want the movie to be awesome. We want those things because when we see those things, joy starts to erupt in us. It happens. A telltale sign is there's something happening in your relationship with God where you're starting to have joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is really dependent upon circumstance. So whatever's happening in the situation, if it goes your way, you feel happy. If it does not go your way, you do not feel happy, right? That is normal to all of our human experience. 
joy supersedes circumstances. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. You have joy. Remember, he talked about you have, you know, rejoice in the sufferings, knowing that. How does someone live like that? How do you get joy in your heart even when the circumstances are difficult? It's because believers know that God will use all things for his glory. He has a purpose for all things. And if he's willing to die for me, then he will use this thing, whatever it is. And people I've, I've witnessed walk through life who seem to have the most joy have gone through things that's, that are unexplainable. Why? Because we know that God's going to do something. He's going to use this. He will do something through this situation. I will know him more at the other end of this. Is it easy? No. But God is testing my faith for a purpose. I had a friend named Matt. He's a pastor who went overseas. He went to Africa on a mission trip, and he came back from the mission trip, and I was asking him about it. I said, so, so what did you learn? What did you, you know, experience over there? He goes, well, uh, poverty in Africa is not like poverty here. <laughs> he started to explain the differences. He goes, it's really different. And uh, I said, so that's an interesting you know, way to look at things because, yeah, it was eye-opening. He said, um, I said, well, what, what is it like for the believers there? He goes, Ed, the believers there have a different kind of joy. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, look, when, when they have a potato grow in their garden, they are overwhelmed with joy. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, look, they get a potato and they just know that God produced, that God provided. God made this and they are now experiencing the potato because God made it for them. I'm like, dude, I throw out probably two potatoes a week because I overbuy potatoes. <clears throat> I just throw them out. I'm, I have no context for understanding what they're saying. He goes, but their joy, they just trust that God is gonna take care of them and provide for them. And they allow that joy to just, just, it's incredible. And then this conversation turned. And she said to Matt, she said, Matt, do the people in America, do the believers there suffer like we do? And Matt said, well, he chuckled at first. Like, well, no, not like you do. No, not like you do. And she said this, well, then how do you know who the believers are? You see, believers suffer differently because they have a joy knowing God. We were made for that joy. To know that God's gonna use all of our difficulties, all of our circumstances for a purpose. He's drawn us closer to him. He's making us into something. He's given us endurance, which brings character, which brings hope. There's a joy in knowing God wants to use all these things that even when we have our relations and our struggles, we know that God is working things together. And I think the world wants us to blend out, like phase out of all of what God's doing around us and we stop noticing. And then we get bored with our faith. We stop reading our Bible because we don't need it. Church attendance becomes ob, you know, obligatory. Why? Because we've stopped noticing him around us. But when we notice him around us, it brings a joy in us. That's what you were created for. So let's say you came in today and you're, you know, okay, I'm, I've been a little bit bored in my faith. I've been focused on the wrong things and, uh, you know, I'm just, I need to re-up. Look, if you're here and you feel like you've been focused on anything but God, for you today, I think the message is you need to lean back in and notice the hero. Maybe remembering the cross, you know, there's a prayer that I pray on a regular basis, it comes from scripture that, that I die daily. I, I, I pray every day, God, today's the day that you have made. I wanna rejoice and be glad in it and what you've made. Use my life today. And I have to do it all the time, every day, and here's why. Because my, my nature is prone to focus on me and what I want more than what God wants. But when I focus on what God wants, I have a joy that erupts in me that I can't explain. True worship, Paul would say, is to lay your life down. It's a living sacrifice. 
that idea that you take what it is that, that God has given you, you give him some back. And what Paul's saying is, no, in light of what he did on the cross, you lay your life down. The problem is for people like me, and maybe you can identify, it's like, I want to get up off the table. <laughs> like, I, I want to take my life back. Say, no, allow God to use your life. And if maybe you came in today and you say, you know what, I don't know that I've ever experienced that peace. But I want to talk to you too. But I'm, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Just, just stay seated for a second. As, as we get ready to pray, before we go up to sing, I just want to talk to you for a second. So there's a, there's a part of the movie where Spider-Man and his guys he got the other two Spider-Man with him and his two friends. They're all working together. And here's what he recognized with these villains. That in all of their efforts to try to become these superheroes or whatever they were, something happened in their brain that caused this rage. It was controlling them. And that's why they were the villains that they were. And they realized if they fixed that, they could change them. And so there's this conversation. And Strange has this little box that's going to hit the button and send them all back. And Spider-Man says, don't do it. Don't hit the button. Why? Because they're going to die. And strange, being pragmatic, says, well, look, they have to. It's part of their fate. We don't want to mess with fate. We got to send them back. And Spider-Man says, well, what if we could change their fate? What if we could change their fate? And I thought in that moment, as I'm watching the movie, I realized this is the cross. Our fate, the thing that controls our life, the reason we're enemies is because sin messes with us. It breaks everything in us. And the reality is, Jesus actually did change our fate when he rose from the grave. When he rose from the grave, anyone who comes to him in faith, he does something in us spiritually, supernaturally, puts his spirit in us, changes us from the inside out. It doesn't mean we don't battle with sin. We will. But the direction of our life will be different forever because the Holy Spirit's in us now, changing our fate. And if you came in today and said, you know what, I want to be a true worshiper, but I'm still struggling. I've never made that decision to receive the peace of God, then that is your step today. Receive that. Don't fight against God. Work with him. Submit your life to him. Receive his Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, you're a believer who you just get caught up in yourself a little too much, start getting so far into your life that you stop noticing what God's doing around you. You know why? Because you're so caught up in you. You're not even asking God to do anything around you. The reason you don't worship, the reason your faith is dull, it's because you stopped asking God to do something around you and he needs to show you. So for you, it's a different prayer today. So I'm gonna ask you just to stand and close your eyes, bow your head and talk to God. In a minute, we're gonna stand and sing. If you feel like there's something going on in your life that is a struggle that you're having a hard time rejoicing with and you would like some prayer, when we stand up to sing, I'm gonna ask you to head back to our next steps area. You don't have to tell them all the details. Just simply say, hey, will you pray for me? And they'll pray for you. But for everyone else, I'm gonna ask you just to talk to God. If you're like me, you're a believer, but you get caught up in your circumstances and surroundings and it steals your joy. I'm gonna ask you, tell God right now, God, I give you my struggles. Please use them in my life. Do whatever you want, but help me to know and notice you. Help me to recognize you as the true hero in my life. If you're here and you've never made it right with God. Here's what you do. You say to God right now, Father in heaven, I believe in you. Just tell him that. Father, I believe in you. And say, Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. But now's the time where you say to Jesus, Jesus, 
I know I'm a sinner. I know I've worked against you, but today, Jesus, will you please forgive me of my sin? I wanna receive your grace and mercy. Will you please forgive me? Help me to follow you. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. You know, when you take that step of faith, which is what he requires, is what he really wants from you. It's what makes you right with the Father. And he simply wants to lead your life. One of the ways that we follow him is that when he asks us to do something, we try to work with him in that. He said that if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I'm gonna ask you to do that. If you just pray that prayer between you and me, I'm the one looking between you and me and God. I want you to acknowledge that. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand up enough that I can see and say, today was my day. Raise it high enough, I can see it. Yes, I see you both. Anyone else? There's like four people today praying, saying, God, please receive me, forgive me. God, I'm praying, Lord, in their lives today, Lord, I pray that you would just help them to see your love and your grace and mercy over their life. As you put your spirit in them, help them to follow you all the days of their life. Use them for your glory and purposes. Help them to notice you. God, for most of the people in this room, they're like me. I pray that you would use us to notice you, that we would be objects of your glory and be a beacon for the world. It's your name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's worship together.